The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. The last as of the Trump administration. There will be time enough in the weeks ahead to evaluate his presidency, its successes and failures. Today, though, the 46th president of the United States is preparing to take his oath of office. Come on, man, you know the thing. Uh, Had things gone as they should have for the incumbent, the 46th president, whoever he or she be, wouldn't be taking that oath until January 2025. Now, I should say, ahead of all else, as I always do, that I got Trump before almost anyone you can name other than Ann Coulter. And indeed, uh, I said on the late Alan Combs' radio show in September 2015, that's over a year before the election, and somewhat to dear old Alan's befuddlement that Trump would win the nomination, and I thought he would then win the general. I never felt quite that confident in this cycle. One year ago, Donald J. Trump was presiding over a gangbusters economy and laughing off an impeachment the country didn't care about. Joe Biden, on the other hand, was going nowhere uh, in Iowa and New Hampshire. So what happened? Well, the Chinese coronavirus happened and gave the Democrats a pretext for a form of fraud-friendly voting that no other Western nation and uh, indeed uh, many developing countries would ever entertain for a moment. The Mark Stein Show, July 31st. Nobody knows what's going to happen on November the 3rd, but one thing can be said for certain, that on November the 3rd, we won't know what's happened on November the 3rd, because unlike functioning societies where around 10pm on election night you know who's won, on this November election night there's going to be more voter fraud than ever before in America, which is saying something. 8 12 16 years ago, my regular line to Hugh Hewitt was that when Republicans win, they have to win beyond the margin of lawyer. Because the minute the monkey business starts, the Democrats have it in the bag. They're just better at it. Ooh, count every vote, including these ones I found in a box in the parking lot. Give it another couple of minutes. The ink's not dry yet. Republicans have to win beyond the margin of lawyer. That's to say they have to win big. And yet that is another thing we know will not happen on November the 3rd. Just to be clear, I think Trump won on Election Day 2020, but I agree with that pollster who said he had to win, for example, Pennsylvania by five points in order for it not to be stolen from him. He didn't win beyond the margin of lawyer, or as it was this time round, beyond the margin of sewer. And the question Trump's supporters need to ask is, why didn't he win big? He made inroads into minority groups in Greater Miami and in the Texas borderlands, uh, but his share of the blue-collar white vote dipped in critical states. That's up against a guy who was barely there. So, as Rush suggested the other day, the big question is, Why couldn't the big guy win big enough to insulate himself even from uh, the Democrats' most ambitious fraud of all time? From that same Mark Stein show of July 31st. Mark's mailbox is on the air. Walt Trimmer, a Mark Stein Club member from the same state as that roaring transgender roller babe at the top of the show. Uh, Walt writes, Mark, I agree with you about Trump's poor political handling of Chicom 19 and the impact it will likely have in the highly prized urban women demographic. I think actually, Walt, urban women are more or less uh, lost to the Republicans. It's uh, suburban women, suburban women. That's the that's the battlefield to play for. Uh, Walt continues, there will be some offset with the law and order issue in the key electoral college states, 
But I will be putting my money on the horse named voter fraud. The Dems were complacent in 2016, believing all the polls that Hillary was ahead, especially in the key state. Yeah, uh, that actually is the key difference there, Walt. In 2016, uh, <laughs> they were so complacent, they thought they could win honestly. They're not going to make that mistake again, uh, which is exactly what Walt says. They won't make that mistake this time. While there may be an enthusiasm gap for Biden, the rabid D are in a fury and ballot boxes are going to be stuffed as soon as they know old Joe's VP pick. Vote by mail, which I am familiar with here in the People's Republic of Oregon, illegal alien motor voter registration, convicts voting, the usual dead rising the whole nine yards. Mark, this is where you are wrong about the long transition period between the election and inauguration being an anachronism. The votes will not even be fully counted let alone recounted before January the 20th, 2021. We will have to see what it looks like when the presidency is stolen in so open a manner. Will the Republicans rise up in righteous indignation? Will Trump leave office? Will there be martial law? Stand by. Oh, wow. Uh, I think you're right about voter fraud, Walt. Uh, my state, with paper ballots counted by elderly ladies in school gyms, has more honest elections than almost anywhere else in America. Nevertheless, it has a handful of college towns. And last time round, Trump and Kelly Ayot, if you remember uh, our uh, former Republican senator, Trump and Kelly Ayot lost narrowly because of voter fraud in those towns. Uh, this time... Who knows? Uh, the Democrats have devised a scenario that works to Biden's advantage. It keeps him in the basement until uh, the morning of November the 3rd and to Trump's disadvantage. It keeps Trump away from voters and in the hands of people like his son-in-law who don't believe in Trumpism and policy and therefore can't come up with any themes that can sell it. This is the difference. This is a critical difference between Trump running as an incumbent uh, and as the outsider four years ago. So on November the 3rd, the polls have to be wronger, wronger than they've ever been in history. The counting is to be more honest than it's ever been. And Google, Twitter, Facebook et al. would have to be more hands off about flagging this and that than they've ever been. It's a lot to bet on. Here's the big thing, the permanent state wants to teach the voters a lesson to ensure that they get the message good and hard that 2016 is never going to happen again. They're serious about that. And on this first weekend of August, a lot of key pieces are being moved into place. They certainly were being moved into place. Uh, so, for example, almost as soon as the polls closed, the Department of Homeland Security was ready to declare that this was the squeaky cleanest election ever. But Trump's frankly incompetent legal team was not ready with its legal challenges. Bear in mind, too, uh, that distinction I drew there between Trump the man and Trumpism. Trump and Trumpism. A theme I returned to as the campaign wore on, usually because while those around Trump's campaign certainly played up Trump front and centre, Trumpism found itself a little, uh, a little forgotten. And the supporters of Trumpism found themselves, as I put it rather tactfully, underserved. If I had to pick the moment when I first seriously considered the prospect that President Trump might lose... It would not be that first debate or even that first post-COVID rally in Tulsa, but this encounter with a lockdown victim about five or six weeks after everything cratered. The Mark Stein Show, May 4th. Yesterday, the president held a virtual town hall on Fox News. He and his hosts were socially distanced at the Lincoln Memorial while viewers Skyped in their questions. This was the very first one. My name is Shana Cruz and I'm a single mother from Alabama. I lived paycheck to paycheck before the virus, but then I lost my job in March. I haven't received a stimulus payment or anything from unemployment. I'm behind on every bill, about to be evicted from my home, and I've had to rely on donations in order to feed my children. I feel frustrated and I feel scared not knowing where to turn or what to do. 
What advice do you have for me and others in my situation? Is there more help coming? As I always say, I was one of the first to get Trump. Three weeks after he came down that escalator in June 2015, and when all the Conservative Inc. hotshots were insisting his candidacy was a joke, all the Becks and Levins and the Bill Crystals. But the president did not give a good answer to this. He defaulted to familiar lines. He'd built the greatest economy in history. And then they, they came to him and told him he had to shut it down. I'd have liked it if Brett and Martha had followed up with, Mr. President, who is they? That might have been an interesting answer. Uh, instead, he said he thought third quarter was going to be great. Third quarter. When you do town halls and you get this kind of question, it's not about you. It's about the person asking the question. In this case, Shana Cruz from Alabama. Ms. Cruz doesn't think in terms of third quarters. She has to get through this quarter, this week, this day. Uh, this lady was never really part of the gangbusters economy. If the Dow Jones is soaring through the ceiling, she's just doing her regular job and is largely untouched by that. But she's touched by this. She's like almost everyone within a 50-mile radius of where I'm sitting, save for a few Flatlander retirees and Dartmouth College trustee fundies. Everyone else lives paycheck to paycheck. So when you're told that that's it, paycheck-wise, the bottom drops out pretty bloody quickly. The government promised her a $1,200 check in March. It's now May, and the government has failed to get it to her. As I said on Rush, there's no argument whatsoever for a nanny state that can't nanny, which is what this disgusting bureaucracy is. The correct answer is to demonstrate some human feeling for the ruination of this woman's life. Would it have killed the president to say, it's outrageous that you haven't got that checked, Shana. Leave your number, we'll get your bank details, and first thing Monday morning, I'm walking over to the Treasury building, and I'll personally stand over the guy until he wires it into your account. Uh, especially when the Ritz-Carlton and Harvard and the Kennedy Center and wealthy sports franchises and the rest of the connected grifter class can apparently get their millions of dollars within days. There are millions and millions of Americans like this woman, like Shana Cruz from Alabama, to accept that in a crisis, the head of the executive branch cannot impress his will on the executive branch is the very antithesis of the swamp draining that Trump ran on. He's got to have a better answer than the one he gave last night to poor Ms. Cruz. He's got to have a better answer. That was shocking to me because I'd seen Trump on the stump early on last time round, 2015, early 2016, in the snows of the North Country. And the one thing he had that certainly Jeb and Cruz and the like didn't have was a connection with the people. You could feel it. Uh, I said five years ago, and I've said it many times since, that at a Trump event, they laughed at the shtick, oh, Macy's stock has tanked since they stopped selling Trump ties. But they also teared up because they felt at last that here was a candidate who genuinely understood the quiet despair of their lives in once functioning towns from which all economic activity had fled, aside from a shift at the quickie crap or a little drug dealing. In 2016, he was the candidate of the forgotten man. Four years later, the forgotten man was himself a little forgotten. COVID was a wild card, although it's almost as if the Democrats saw it coming, isn't it? Perhaps they got a heads up from Beijing. Uh, but by comparison with Andrew Cuomo or Gavin Newsom, Justin Trudeau or Boris Johnson, Trump handled the COVID itself pretty well. He didn't handle the politics of the COVID at all well. The Mark Stein Show, April 29th. In France, the people most opposed to the lockdown are Marine Le Pen supporters. So it's their political opponent, President Macron, that they're opposing. So that's all fine and dandy. In America, the people most opposed to the lockdown are Trump supporters. And to one degree or another, it's the Trump administration they're opposing. And that's a little bit of a finer needle to thread. Yesterday on Rush, I interviewed uh, 
Governor Kemp about opening up Georgia and ending the lockdown. President Trump has opposed that move and attacked Governor Kemp for opening up Georgia. Uh, Trump supporters distrust Dr. Fauci uh, because his public utterances have been all over the map. Uh, But Fauci isn't the leader of the opposition. He's a low-ranking midget employed by Trump. Who's the guy towering over Fauci at the podium every night looking like... uh, Golden Girls B. Arthur to Fauci's Estelle Getty. It's Trump. Truman famously said the buck stopped here. The buck stopped here. And he and that's a distillation of political reality. You're not going to persuade November's voters that the buck stops down the hall, hang a left, take the elevator to sub-basement level four, walk through six miles of windowless corridors until you come to Dr. Fauci's office. It's even less likely to work with the scarf queen, uh, Dr. Burks, because she was specifically hired by Trump and Pence for this job. She was uh, saving AIDS patients in the Congo or whatever until she got the call from Mike Pence. Furthermore, let's let's look at the guy who hired Dr. Burks, one of only two elected officials in the executive branch, Mike Pence, was put in charge of the Corona Task Force. Then the other elected official, Donald J. Trump, decided to associate himself with the Corona crisis by standing on TV next to Dr. Burks and the Surgeon General and that Admiral guy and all the rest of them every night. As I said on Rush again at some length, I don't think uh, these two-hour press conferences are working for the president right now. Because last time round, Trump ran as the great disruptor. Uh, Jeb and Kasich and Marco Rubio and all the other guys stood up there and then Trump basically comes swinging in like a big wrecking ball and uh, and totals the whole thing. Last time around, he was the great disruptor. Right now, he's the great disrupted. Right now, it's the Trump voters who are most angry about what's going on in this crisis. Uh, and I'm not persuaded that the national electorate is going to buy the explanation that some midget virologist with dodgy graphs suckered him into going along with it. No one knows what the political landscape, if there is one, will look like in November. But tough times are always a referendum on the president, not on the deputy assistant undersecretary of the Bureau of issuing $1,200 checks in a timely manner. And I say that as someone who, unlike far more prominent conservatives, got Trump and the appeal of Trump from within weeks of him coming down that escalator, as you'll know if you've read my piece last stand of the old white males. So I I get Trump. I was with Trump. I got no use for Republican Party politics as exemplified by Jeb Bush or anyone. But I agree with Brit Hume. The two viable narratives are Trump lied, people died, which the left is running with, or China lied, people died, which I'm running with. I don't think Fauci lied, people haven't died, is a runner. And I think there is great peril uh, for uh, Trump supporters in somehow trying to, in effect, blame Trump policies and Trump personnel without blaming Trump. I don't think they're doing the president any favours at all. Then came George Floyd and the mostly peaceful months of looting and statue toppling, and the president found himself a new Twitter slogan. The Mark Stein Show, June 1st. As local police departments fail, as governors and mayors flail, where is the president? I am the law and order candidate. Not only am I the law and order candidate, but I'm also the candidate of compassion. Believe it, the candidate of compassion. But you can't have true compassion without providing safety for the citizens of our country. We will be tough, we will be smart, we will be fair, and we will protect all Americans. That was candidate Donald Trump in 2016, a long time ago now. So what are the politics of this? At least 13 Joe Biden staffers have given money 
to bail out the disgracefully few people arrested and jailed in these assaults on civilised life in America. Normally, the public does not reward politicians on the side of chaos and destruction, as Joe Biden, or at least his staff, presently are. But normal, normal politics has been increasingly weird in America for a few years now. That's why Trump won uh, just four years ago. And because he won against all the polls and all the experts... The assumption among the base is that he'll win again, because that's what he does, especially as he's up against a mentally enfeebled buffoon running on a platform of sniffing your hair and insulting black radio hosts and 80-pound cowards. But these are weird times and getting weirder. Setting aside the burning of the national capital and the collapse of the global economy, I said way back when in a speech at the Breakers in Palm Beach toward an audience of conservatives uh, toward the end of 2017 that in my heart I had a preference for candidate Trump over President Trump, at least uh, as he'd been in those first few months. Uh, The guy who said Mexico wasn't sending us its best and who wanted them to pay for the war, that was before the Paul Ryan-Mitch McConnell Congress turned their back on the core elements of the Trump agenda, like immigration enforcement. As of the first of this year, 93 miles of barrier barrier have been built, uh, all but three of those miles replacing existing structures. So at that rate of construction, Trump would have to remain president until 2083 to finish the thing. But it didn't matter because instead of his immigration agenda, he had a gangbusters economy that made him a shoe-in for re-election because it's the economy, stupid. Uh, The coronavirus, or more precisely, the response to the coronavirus, wiped out all the gains of the Trump years in a couple of weeks. As I said uh, way back, I think it was the very first of these shows, there's no precedent in human history for all the world's major powers except one, China, agreeing to tank their economies simultaneously. So there are 40 million Americans out of work, millions of businesses for which there will be no reopening. There is no precedent for re-electing a president when there's 20% unemployment. But maybe it's doable because Trump is a phenomenon and Biden is a hair-plugged husk breaking wind in his rec room. On the other hand, the dead husk is polling spectacularly. He's the first candidate to be ahead of the incumbent in every single poll in the May before the election since Jimmy Carter in 1976. But as I said, weird times, maybe that doesn't matter anymore. The president has lost his 2016 slogan, Make America Great Again, and his 2020 slogan, Keep America Great, because greatness of any kind is pretty thin on the ground. Right now, he needs more than tough tweets. He needs tough actions. He needs to use the bully pulpit for more than needling Joe Scarborough. And above all, he needs to demonstrate that he can act. My old comrade Andy McCarthy says Article 4 of the Constitution authorizes the president to act against, quote, domestic violence. Right now, we have a coordinated, well-funded national insurrection against All the symbols of government, police stations in Minneapolis, City Hall in Philadelphia, the White House itself in the national capital. During the 1992 Rodney King riots in just one city, George Bush, George Bush I, remember him, the guy with the wimp factor, as they sneered, the guy who reminded women of their first husband, as they scoffed, that guy, the wimp took charge and sent in the Marines. Tonight, I want to talk to you about violence in our cities and justice for our citizens. Fifteen minutes ago, I talked to California's Governor Pete Wilson and Los Angeles Mayor Tom Bradley. To restore order right now, there are 3,000 National Guardsmen on duty in the city of Los Angeles. Another 2,200 stand ready to provide immediate support. To supplement this effort, I've taken several additional actions. First, this morning I've ordered the Justice Department to dispatch 1,000 federal riot-trained law enforcement officials to help restore order in Los Angeles beginning tonight. These officials include FBI SWAT teams, special riot control units of the U.S. Marshals Service, uh, the Border Patrol, 
and other federal law enforcement agencies. Second, another 1,000 federal law enforcement officials are on standby alert should they be needed. Third, early today, I directed 3,000 members of the 7th Infantry and 1,500 Marines to stand by at El Toro Air Station, California. Tonight, at the request of the governor and the mayor, I have committed these troops to help restore order. I am also federalizing the National Guard, and I'm instructing General Colin Powell to place all those troops under a central command. Now granted, that was a different America. Before three decades of demographic transformation turned California into a one-party state. And granted, a few months later, George Bush lost to Bill Clinton anyway, so maybe speaking softly and carrying the big stick of the Marines, the Army, and a federalized National Guard didn't work for him personally. But Bush grasps something there. It only gets worse if you let days go by. In a situation like this, hours count. It's vital for the president to assert his authority and impress his will on his administration. It's true that he faces a media that seriously think any bad stuff in the, in the otherwise peaceful protests is the work of Russian saboteurs and Macedonian content farmers and white supremacists all colluding with Trump. It's true that the Democrats have spent three years subverting a lawfully elected president in ways that no other administration... Uh, has had to put up with in American history. It's true that the most powerful intelligence agencies in the world went full Banana Republic coup plotters on their boss and have not given up on that, as we've seen from the uh, most recent resignations in the Justice Department. But it is also true the millions of ordinary Americans who don't pay any attention to that Millions of ordinary Americans who voted for a wall and immigration enforcement got instead a pandemic and an insurrection. And in that situation, who knows how many will find Joe Biden reminiscing about how he took corn pop out in the War of 1812, a blessed relief. The president has to be the man he was in that 2016 soundbite and restore order to America. And he should refuse the next time any Secret Service agents bust into the Oval Office and demand to hustle him down to the bunker. Because right now, with the leak of that and the attendant mockery in those hashtags, that looks like just another deep state permanent bureaucracy setup of the president. The Mark Stein Show, June 3rd. Will you love me in December as you do in May? Will you love me in the good old-fashioned way? Will you love me in December as you do in May? For Joe Biden, the question is, will they love him in November as they do in June? The May polls were phenomenal for him, although uh, he may not actually be aware of that. Uh, and, of course, Trump is the great poll bucker anyway. Up to a point, uh, four years ago, May 2016, Trump was actually ahead of Hillary Clinton. He's now running as the law and order candidate. That's usually what a challenger does, as Nixon did in 68. The incumbent is supposed to run on peace and prosperity, but right now there's neither. If you're a deep stater, you've learned a lesson. All that stuff with getting MI6 agents and Maltese professors and Australian high commissioners to set a wilderness of mirrors, five eyes spook operation in motion. Way too complicated. Who can follow all that Russia collusion stuff? Way better to cry havoc. Let's slip the dogs of war. Burn it all down and sit back and watch. The Mark Stein Show, June 19th. Mark's mailbox is on the air. David Taylor, a first-month founding member of the Mark Stein Club from California, writes, Mark, I don't think your rendering of the Antifa Black Lives Matter cultural rot was too rancid last time around. We need more shouting about it, hopefully from President Trump. 
But that desire of mine is rapidly fading. Trump, already late to the bonfire, has been twitching between lightly cowing to BLM scripture and then making loud banging noises about some aspects of Antifa and its herd of zombies. What America needed was Trump to lead with a clear articulation of the realities of the George Floyd death, along with a terse condemnation of the anarchistic rhetoric and violence that characterize the, quote, peaceful protests, and onward to the spiritual blitzkrieg leveled upon America's cultural heritage, and then to the woke corporate hacks. But what we got was squeamish, nervous chattering. When you've lost Gone with the Wind and police precincts, and syrup bottles, you've lost. I'll vote for Trump in November, but his charm has been dashed. It was a time for a worthy battle. Well, there are two theories on November, David. One is that Trump has lost these last four months uh, several key elements of his 2016 coalition, old people, for example, suburban women. Another is that there's a vast silent majority that is disgusted uh, by what's been going on in recent weeks and will sweep him to a landslide victory. And the only reason every single poll shows Biden widening his margin is because with mobs in the street ready to destroy your livelihood over an insufficiently enthusiastic tweet, people are too fearful to tell pollsters that they're voting for Trump. Maybe. On the other hand, if they're that fearful, they may be too fearful actually to vote for him. Uh, if Joe Biden wins, the GOP will also lose the Senate. And those guys won't be dithering like the Republicans did during Trump's first two years. They won't be building a leisurely mile of new border wall every year and saying, relax, as long as we retain power for the next 1,930 years, we'll finish it. When the Dems want something, Obamacare, transgender, bathrooms, total cultural revolution, they do it in nothing flat, secure in the knowledge that Republicans never muster the will to reverse it. But setting aside polls and politics, this is an existential moment. And I want a guy who defends our civilization, the civilization that built the modern world in big picture terms that grasp the stakes, that says we have an heroic civilizational narrative that not only is no cause for shame, but in fact is something uh, for our uh, psychologically unhealthy youth to take pride in. I want someone, in other words, as butch as Macron. That's all I'm asking for. Right now, Western civilization is dying on America's watch and assuming that there'll be anyone around to write history, they will be merciless about that. The Mark Stein Show, June 29th. Conservatives may tell themselves these polls are meaningless, but President Trump is smarter than that. He's told friends he knows he's losing. Only he can do anything about that. And he's not going to do it by just staggering punctually and incoherently from one subject to another with little to say about it. Statues, Russia, Michael Flynn, other than it's an absolute disgrace. It would be lovely to hear him say something like the second Lord Falklands line. But right now he's not talking about anything that matters to the people who provided his margin of victory. That's not me saying this. That's Ed Rollins from the pro-Trump Great America Pack. Uh, I don't like Mr. Rollins personally, uh, but he there's no doubt about his pro-Trump bona fides. Uh, Ed Rollins says the message is weak or non-existent. The rambling on about Biden and Pelosi or Clinton and Obama is old and tired. He needs to show empathy, which he hasn't, and projects strength by doing what Reagan, Thatcher and Churchill did with strong speeches. Not macho bull bleep, but thoughtful solutions to serious problems. All the people who helped him win in 2016 are gone. Trump's being advised by a nitwit son-in-law and an army of Goldman Sachs types who find the cultural conservatism, the wall, the borders, immigration, uh, vulgar and uh, unpopular at dinner parties. The Mark Stein Show, July 24th. But Fauci lied, insufficient people died, is never going to work for Trump's base because Trump isn't on board with it. He says he's getting used to wearing a mask. 
and he's just cancelled the Jacksonville Convention on COVID grounds. You know, a nine-year-old girl in Putnam County, Florida, which is basically just outside Jacksonville, has just died of this thing. Thirteen nuns died of COVID at one convent outside Detroit. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only five dead Florida kids. And let's face it, these nuns were pretty old and useless. China's actions killed those nuns. China's actions killed that nine-year-old girl. How many Americans does China get to kill? Bitching about bloody Fauci is just the usual parochial chump change that makes politics such a waste of time. You know, in 2016, Trump had two bases. He still has two bases. There's the Trump base, that's the people who like the 15-minute shtick about ramps and leather shoes and they love the tweets. And then there's the Trumpism base, which is people who want an end to mass immigration and a decoupling from China, because both have been disastrous uh, for American workers. Now, the Trump base and the Trumpism base are a coalition. They're like any other uh, political coalition. They're like the... Uh, Liberal and the National Party in Australia or, or whatever. They've, they've both got to get something uh, because neither can win without the other. The Trump base can't win without the Trumpism base because his personality alone is problematic. But the Trumpism base can't win without Trump because only that size of personality can push through the media bias to put Trumpism policies into the national conversation. You can't do it with a Jeb Bush or a Marco Rubio or a John Kasich. Uh, so, so Trump is necessary to Trumpism and Trumpism is necessary to Trump. China lied. People died. That would be a great slogan that works for both halves of the coalition. You know, we could actually have an election Imagine this, a Western society that has an election on something consequential, because our principal geostrategic enemy is killing Americans right now. If you want to put it in Trumpian terms, how about a commitment to take back the leadership of the global economy from China? Make America number one again. The Mark Stein Show, July 28th. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, the Trumpster came to say You know, Rudolph, you're so bright Won't you guide my freaking sleigh tonight? And of course, we know where this is all headed You'll go down in history So, Donald, what do you think? Rudolph, you're hired Blitzen, you're fired that's who Donald Trump used to be before he became the new Hitler. Sure, there were plenty of people who thought he was a blowhard and a buffoon, but they thought of him as a non-partisan blowhard, a non-partisan buffoon. The right were correct to whine that he wasn't a philosophical conservative, but the left turned him into Hitler anyway, because that's what they do, uh, regardless of who you nominate. Right now, Trump is trying to turn his campaign around. Uh, because he knows what his internal polls say. That's the difference between 2016 and 2020. Back then, he knew what he was doing was working, regardless of what Gallup said, so he didn't change a thing. This time, regardless of what Gallup says, he knows it's not working. The Mark Stein Show, August 11th. So Trump would wake up on the morning after with a dominant Democrat party and a rump GOP that spent much of the election campaign running away from him and uh, is emerging from the rubble to begin building what they regard as the post-Trump Republican Party. How's he likely to react to that? He would not be a typical lame duck. Uh, and lame duck is not a style that suits Donald J. Trump. Uh, Trump is basically an independent president, the equivalent of Angus King in Maine. Um, Trump ran in the GOP primary because that's where the opportunity was. So he has no allegiance to a Republican Party that has in large measure obstructed him as effectively as the Democrats have. Uh, furthermore, who will he be listening to? Right now, Trump's campaign is being run by a man who doesn't believe in Trumpism, in the platform that got Trump elected in 2016. But because he's the president's son-in-law, he can't be fired. The Mark Stein Show, August 14th. I loathe 
the professionalization of American politics, because this is what the professionals think is clever. Last time round, Trump was up against Jeb Bush, who had a hundred million bucks and Mike Murphy and a hammerlock on TV commercial airtime and a fat lot of good it did him. Trump took him out with an adjective, low energy Jeb. Low energy Jeb. Is it me or is it Trump who seems a little low energy this time round? His campaign's being run by a super liberal who happens to be his son-in-law, and he's surrounded now by the consultant industrial complex, all the grifters and finger-in-the-windy focus group types he pissed all over last time. So Trump's now announcing as a priority for his second term a capital gains tax cut. OK, OK, we know, you know, that's important to certain people, even if they're not the people you need at the polling booths in Wisconsin and Michigan. Uh, like all the Republicans going on about all the people uh, Kamala Harris locked up as Attorney General of California. Gee, given what's happening on the streets of American cities right now under all those Democrat mayors, let's do the Biden-Harris campaign's marketing for them and start promoting them as the tough-on-crime ticket while Jared persuades his father-in-law to run on letting more prisoners out of jail. The Mark Stein Show, September 18th. Well, polls, whatever. But if the race is tightening, the Trump campaign is supposedly short of money to buy ads in all those battleground states. It's blown through the best part of a billion bucks with nothing to show for it. Where did that money go? Brad Parscale, the talentless ass who was appointed to run the campaign in 2018 and then removed after the Tulsa fiasco, Brad Parscale has made from that campaign, between him and his various quote-unquote companies, $38.9 million. This is a guy who was a website designer in San Antonio just a couple of years ago. While running the campaign... He managed to buy a $2.4 million waterfront property in Fort Lauderdale, a couple of million dollar condos, a $400,000 boat, and half a million bucks worth of cars, including a Ferrari. So this corrupt idiot buggered up the Trump campaign, perhaps beyond repair. If Trump wins, it will be despite his campaign, not because of it. Uh, but he's managed to get three luxury properties, a yacht, a Ferrari, and still have $33 million in cash left over to show for it. I love the Trump campaign of 2015-2016. No entourage, uh, no consultants, no uh, focus groupers, no frauds, no chances. Just Trump and Hope Hicks and Corey Lewandowski, who, whatever you feel about them, didn't come away from that campaign with $38.9 million. A pass scale is the swamp. You can't drain the swamp with men like pass scale. Trump 2020 has been just the usual conservative ink grifter orgy. Men like Pascale disgust me. They know it's wrong. They know it's wrong. They know that they've done nothing to deserve a $2.4 million waterfront property. God, God rot guys like that. And, uh, and we should not forget also uh, the man at the top who enabled... Pascale to get away with that. People ask me why I don't talk more about all the horse race and palace intrigue stuff of American politics. Because these guys make me puke. I'm supposed to cheerlead because Pascale is nominally on my side? I don't even want to mention the guy. Because if you mention people like Brad Pascale, the stink of him lingers on you for the rest of the day. The Mark Stein Show, October 13th. Less than three weeks to go in any normal election season, the revelation that the son of a major party candidate is pimping his dad out to some of the sleaziest criminals in the Ukraine, which is a seriously competitive title, would be the October surprise, especially if it came with videos of the son consorting with hookers. But the news broke. Uh, in the early hours of the morning, 
uh, and it demonstrated to anybody paying attention that Joe and his minders have been lying all campaign long about their ignorance of Hunter's quote-unquote business. Business. Uh, and yet it, uh, it broke and just lay there. And nobody even bothered pretending that there was going to be any serious mainstream media effort to challenge Biden on the issue. He is the swamp. Um, I, I believe the president seriously misnamed him by calling him Sleepy Joe. That sounds so benign. In fact, he's Creepy Joe. He likes tweaking the nipples of eight-year-old girls, uh, which is not a taste many of us acquire. He's Creepy Joe and he's Sleazy Joe. Sleazy. He has been as sleazy as any Ukrainian oligarch. He has been in quote-unquote public service all his life. He pretends to be just another Amtrak commuter. And yet, not only has he wound up a multi-bazillionaire, but so have his crackhead son and his corrupt brother. This is an evil racket. It was the racket that Trump ran against in 2016. Uh, and four years later, the swamp has asserted itself by running a candidate who, even in a near vegetative state, as many swamps are, remains the very embodiment of that evil racket. The Mark Stein Show, October 20th. Two weeks to Election Day. If there is such a thing anymore, a quarter of likely voters have already voted, and there's no reason to stop voting just because Election Day comes and goes. Yesterday, Chief Justice John Roberts joined the hey-whatever wing of the Supreme Court to permit Pennsylvania to count non-postmarked mail-in ballots up to three days after Election Day. It was a 4-4 decision because the ninth judge is tied up in Congress going through the solemn constitutional advice and consent process, which means being asked by Maisie Hironi about whether she's sexually assaulted anyone recently. So the 4-4 Supreme Court decision means the lower court decision by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court stands. The Pennsylvania General Assembly's law, law, remember that? The actual law states that to be counted, absentee and mail-in ballots, quote, must be received in the office of the County Board of Elections no later than 8 o'clock p.m. on the day of the primary or election, unquote. Which to the non-legal mind would seem clear enough. I mean, if the legislators, legislators, there's a quaint term. If the legislators wanted to extend it to 9 o'clock on election day or curtail it, to four o'clock on election day, they could have done so, expressing thereby the will of the people's representatives. Uh, but the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has said, nah, 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 that uh, eight o'clock on uh, election night is all a bit vague for us. Uh, and uh, when you enact a law designating 8 p.m. on election day as the end of the election, we discern in the emanations of the penumbra a right to extend it to three days after election day, including mail-in ballots mailed after election day, unless you can absolutely prove they were mailed after election day by having eyewitnesses who heard the voter say on the morning of November the 4th, gee, are you sure election day was yesterday? I could have sworn they said November the 5th. Better get my Biden vote in this morning. Thank you, rock-ribbed conservative Chief Justice Roberts. Vote, vote, vote. The only thing that is going to prevent chaos providing a cover for a coup is if you actually get out there in huge numbers and cast lawful votes, preferably on election day, just to keep the tradition alive. Indeed. One reason why I don't join Mark Levin and co in waving the United States Constitution around on TV is because in the end, it doesn't matter if you have the best constitution in the world, but also the worst election operation system, certainly in the civilized world. Then the constitution is defined by Democrats who don't believe a word of it, but are happy to torture those words into meaning whatever they want. And by judges appointed by Democrats or judges appointed by Mitch McConnell, 
with an eye on whichever genius jurist Susan Collins is likely to be willing to go along with. And so you wind up with the rock-ribbed John Roberts, who feels that even the highest judge in the land has to accept the realities of power. It is reported by the many leakers all around him that as the sands run out on his term of office, President Trump, in the midst of a last discussion on China or immigration or the vaccine, will occasionally blurt out involuntarily, I can't believe I lost to that bleeping guy. Well, that bleeping guy had his machine in place in all the dark corners of Philadelphia and Detroit, and you had nothing to match. But the 2016 Trump, with no entourage, no consultants, no grifters, no one but Hope Hicks and Corey Lewandowski, and nothing but Trumpism, would have won this election because it was winnable beyond the margin of fraud. But the outsider of four years ago was trapped inside in a bubble of delusion. So it was not won, and we will all be paying a price for that. The purpose of the re-impeachment is to deny him the status of a normal former president, and the Republican establishment will go along with that. Good luck to you, Mr. President. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.